Hello everyone, and welcome to Generally Casual, a place where you can learn anything and everything casually. I'm one of your co-hosts, Michael, and join with me as always is Richard. <laughs> I tilted my head to the side because I was looking at behind you where we're recording. I couldn't see that we're recording, so I'm like, are we recording? We are recording. As it turns out, we are. Yeah, let me teach you about that, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyways, yeah, we're generally casual. We're doing casual things. If you if if you watched our TikTok, uh, you'll know what our theme for today is. If you didn't, read the title. That's right there. <laughs> or just watch the TikTok and then come watch our thing. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. TikTok's only like thirty seconds. If you like jokes, go watch our TikToks. If you like Michael jokes, I'm very funny. <laughs> I'm the funniest person. <laughs> See, if, you're laughing right now. If My you jokes. like Michael jokes. If you like how weird I am on a weekly basis, <laughs> come to our TikTok. Awkward. Anyways, um, we decided to bring on a teacher that we know who's been in our lives for our entire lives, which is Mom Wincor. Hello, Hello, Mom. Hello, Mother. Hello. How, how are you doing today, Mom? I'm doing great. Yeah. So just like we had our dad on to talk about travel and possibly photography in the future, uh, our mom is a retired teacher. Um, what is your experience in teaching and how long did you teach for? My experience is I taught preschool for 15 years. I went from preschool teaching where I taught two, three, and four-year-olds to elementary and middle school. And I did that for 15 to 20 years until Michael decided he wanted to go to high school. Darn you, Michael. (laughs) Wanted to go to high school. How dare you? And I enjoyed it. I liked it. I didn't like middle school as much as I liked elementary school, and I liked the younger kids, kindergarten and first grade, better than I did the fourth and fifth grade. Molding young minds. Understandable. Kindergarten kids are very open and honest, whereas fourth and fifth graders are edgy and... Ready to mature too fast for me. But. Uh, still true today. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, you talked about the grades you taught um, because not everybody has experience with this. I know you do, and I've never experienced this. Uh, what was your different types of school? Did you teach in private or public or charter? Um, I have taught both private and public and private preschool and public preschool. Different worlds. Yeah, very different worlds. <laughs> the private is very parent-oriented, and the private is very government school-oriented. Oh, public is. Yeah, public, public is government is. school-oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Yes. I remember throughout elementary school and middle school, even though I didn't fully understand, I definitely heard mom... Uh, quote-unquote, complain about being dictated to by parents instead of by, you know, who was important. Yep. Going like, I don't like the way you're teaching my child. Well, and Which I, happens at all I schools. was going to say, I feel like that's a commonality today um, where the first person to blame ends up being a teacher. Mm-hmm. There's no... There's no, uh, it has to do with home life. There's no extra environmental factors. There's no, um, the child may have a different environment that they learn in or anything like that. It's just 
immediately to you're not teaching my child the way yeah that that they should be or yeah. you're not giving them the environment that they should be or whatever mm-hmm. and I've children got... learn in three different ways they learn visually they learn auditorially and they learn kinesthetically right yeah so you need all of those in a classroom for a child to succeed mm-hmm. right and even then, there'll be parents who are going, well, you aren't challenging my student enough and really prioritize their kid. True. And then you're like, well, I am doing the best I can in a room full of 25 to 30 kids. And just because I'm not going out of my way to target your kid specifically, I'm doing the best I can because I have all different challenges in this classroom. That's true. You yeah. Have, not only have challenges, you've got not only physical challenges, You've got mental challenges and you've got language challenges, especially in the schools today. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm always impressed by how quickly, like, I have a variance of kids. I have a kid who, for three years, has chosen to be very quiet. Uh, she's a, she, she came into school as a Spanish-only speaker. And over three years, I have not seen that skill go up. And then I have seen a child who, within, like, maybe four months, went from Spanish-only to, like, really good English skills. I'm like, it just depends on the child. I mean, you don't know their home life. You don't know where they came from. And you don't know if they're getting worked on with these things at home, even mental or physical issues. You know? That's true. Um, which kind of describes uh, one of the first points I want to talk to you both about. Uh, all three of us come from different perspectives in education. Mom has the most perspective, being that you are a parent and a teacher and have been able to experience the education system through both being inside of it and outside of it. Richard, you are a parent to a child. Yes. Um, who you get to experience from that. And I'm just a teacher who's been able to experience it from in the system. And obviously everybody's been a student. So you were able to do it from the bottom. Um, but I just want to know what part of your experience with education system has been most frustrating from both a teacher and a parent side. Um, as a teacher, my most frustrating is being able to handle large class sizes with very limited materials and very limited money. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't enter the education field for the money. I entered the education field because I wanted to help kids and I wanted to see a difference in kids. And all the years that I was teaching, I saw a lot of that. I saw kids language difference or not grow from being very homebound kids to very social kids and they were able to express to each other how they felt what they learned and be able to help each other learn where I didn't have to be the sole instructor Mm -hmm. And as a parent, I, in the schools that my kids went to, I saw a lot of community support. I saw a lot of um, child support, teacher support. But I also saw the other side where there was bullying and kids being picked on and kids afraid to go to school because they were being picked on. So you get both of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's even stronger today, even though schools have programs in place for bullying and 
kids who feel bullied, but sometimes because of money or because of information, the programs aren't being successful. Yeah. I mean, this month and last month are two big reasons why kids get bullied. I mean, Pride Month and then next month is Disability Month and kids get picked on all the time for, you know, right, wrong or different. You know, yeah. on sexual orientation and also on, you know, just their, their ability to be able. Yep. And, you know, that those are the big things that kids get picked on. And then there's a little thing going like, oh, you wore pink and blue today. So obviously I'm going to make fun of you because your colors don't match. It's yeah. like all the way to something so small. And mom, you're right. I mean, like the not just related to the materials and the money you have to spend in from your own pocket for teaching. There's also support. Yep. Which support is where this bullying things comes comes down to as well. Is like you as a teacher and you as a parent might be like, hey, there's this child or my child's being bullied. You need to help me with that administration. And the administration goes, well. Sorry, you can't do that. Yeah. Or we tried. And it's like, oh, but we've got to we got to be very. Um, uh, what's that? Neutral in the argument. It's like, well, you're both right. It's like, but did your kid start it? Like, there's plenty of movies and TV shows that are all like, like, well, your child threw one punch back. So, therefore, it's it's an even situation, even though the kid's been bullied for months. And I get, I, that's, I can understand how that's frustrating on both the side as a parent and teacher. Yeah. By you, Richard. Yeah. Um, What's I been mean, frustrating as a, a parent to a child who is going to middle school right now? Uh, the main thing is, is I, I would say from my perspective, because she isn't in middle school yet. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, it seems like the kids definitely in her because she's been in two different schools so far. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like overall it's been very supportive. There hasn't really been as much, uh, bull- bullying in the lower age groups. Yeah. Um, and she's had rough times, but nothing yeah, continuous. Well, and that's the thing is like any time <clears throat> that it has been something that we would kind of interpret it as bullying or potential for starting of bullying. Mm -hmm. The teacher, both teachers have been like, let's discuss this between the students and figure out what's going on. And then now then there's an awareness piece and then it kind of then just stopped. Mm. Um, And I think in during these age groups, kids are more like, okay, I'm caught or I if I realize that now I'm in trouble, so if I keep doing this, I'm gonna get in more trouble. So I'm just gonna stop doing yeah. this. Um, what I will say is that my daughter had, um, like one kid who was sitting at her table who was you know kind of a like more bully oriented, but I it it was like I don't know. It's different now. Mm-hmm. Like the bullying is like weird. It's not. Not like how when I was a kid. Where, where you just get physically roughed up. Physically roughed up or it was like very harsh wording, mm-hmm. like swearing, that sort of stuff where it was very aggressive. It's like they're speaking in memes or they're like speaking weird terms to each other. And it just doesn't feel like the same because it's like even my daughter was telling me some of the stuff and it was like, she's like, I didn't really understand it. It seemed like it was funny to him, but it. It wasn't to me because everybody has their own little languages. Yeah, that they speak exactly. Online so, speech. And, I can only imagine mom being back in the teaching world, going, 
I don't know what these children are saying. They just sound like little robots just speaking little phrases over and over well, again. And that's that's like her thing. Like kids speak in memes and it's all about like internet culture and things mm-hmm. like that. And so if you're not in that inside joke, it's not going to be. No, it's just going to be. It's uh, just going to be over your head. Yeah, so you and they like repeat it. it over and over and over again. Yeah. And I think the other thing about my my childhood versus now is uh bullying was then kind of associated with like a gang mentality mm-hmm. where one bully would then have his like two or three lackeys and then it would be like a group mm-hmm. versus now it's just one independent like troublemaker usually uh-huh. there there isn't a group mentality for bullying anymore well especially in the age group that that she is in. yeah like if she was in high school it might be different because word, word travels incredibly quick through yeah. high schools and when uh social media and that's another thing in middle school where it can start happening is like and i but that's outside generally of yes school it's all Um, internet based and and that's also kind of a problem right now with with bullying at older age groups is it's not technically happening on the schoolyard Mm -hmm. it's happening on the internet where it's technically more private and then how far does the overreach happen from a school to then get involved? Yeah, I mean, because the symptoms are what you see at school, but the actual thing that's going on is not as in yes. the background. Yeah, and so, like, I haven't reached that point, and I know I'm kind of an aware parent when it comes to my daughter's stuff. I yeah. have parental controls on just about everything, so I'm trying to do my best to keep the vision on that. Yeah. But what what I will say is... One very big fundamental difference between uh, then and now is homework. Um, my daughter had virtually no homework uh, in public. She's been in a private school and in a public school. And both, she didn't have that much homework. Mm-hmm. Um, it was centralized around a fundamental skill, which in the case of this past year was reading. Mm-hmm. And just being like, reading we encourage yeah. the writing through the the reading log, but to encourage you to keep reading just to build that skill up. And then they would focus on math and science and uh, the other stuff in school. But just that core of you want to read as much as possible and then write a little bit with this reading log, I think was super Mm. important. I hate homework. I hate it with a passion. I do not give homework to my, my students mostly because I teach a prep class and I think that's stupid. Um, I don't think I should be giving out homework as a prep teacher because it's, I'm like, what I'm going to do is have them bring it like once a week for them to remember the homework, like once a week. It's like silly, but also you can test a child's aptitude for something without needing a physical uh, documentation of it in the moment. Obviously teachers have to keep assessments and, you know, quiz or however way you're assessing the, the child, you need documentation of that, but there's other ways of knowing if the child has a skill or is working on a skill than just going, hey, or practice at home. And a lot of teachers around me nowadays, beyond just giving out packets and stuff, is the homework that they would give is done as classwork during the day. And if the child child doesn't finish it, then it's homework. So that way, the teacher is there to help the child with the work that they need to get done. And if they struggle with it, then they get to take it home and work on it at home with their parent. But... I also feel like without homework, it's harder for the parent to get connected with what the child's learning at school. Uh, Besides asking I, them. In, in certain elements, yes. Um, because, I mean, like I said, I'm in the lower, my daughter's in the lower uh, grade group. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'd say the way that 
the classes are uh, shaped it, because it's based off of like reading, writing, communication skills. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm more, I have been talking to my daughter a lot more about what's going on in school, mm-hmm. and she generally has a like, oh, this is what we learned in science today. This is what we learned. So it's more topic based. Versus I feel like with the homework, that was just a, a way for a parent to check in and say, okay, this is what you're learning in math. This is what is going on in history. Mm. Things like that. Um, or projects were that way too, where it was like, a, all right, here's your mission project for fourth grade. Or here's your other thing project for this grade. And, yeah. and it's almost like these are like staple checkpoints. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I feel like it encourages more of the communication, more of the family time, more more things like that. And hopefully that's what it turns into. But obviously every family is different. So. Yeah. Actually, talking about this, I forgot that mom also has a third perspective is grandma to child going through school. <laughs> yeah. So mom actually has three different perspectives that she gets to observe the education system with. Although, to be fair, this last perspective is very loose because very loose. you're not as involved in her education now as no you know earlier but Uh, in the thing about homework is homework was always to me a way of enhancing what was taught in the classroom mm -hmm. so if it was a math problem and you had an hour to teach it in school you and you didn't give them the homework and they didn't have time to finish it in class, they would need to take it home and practice it. And that's at least when I gave homework, that's what my homework was. Mm -hmm. um, And it was also in private and in public school, it was a way of the kids unifying with their parents and saying, hey, you know, this is what I'm doing in class. But then on the other half, a lot of the parents came back and said, I don't understand this is new math or whatever, oh, yeah. because it was very different than what they learned as yeah. students. That's where you find the math. And so what I was able to do on both occasions is communication was opened up. It was opened up between me as a teacher and the parents. And it was opened up between the parents and students because then the students could say, okay, I have this this homework. This is how my teacher taught me to do it. Mm-hmm. Let me show you. And then the parents can come back. And, oh, okay. But it's the parents would see it was what they had learned, but it was just a different way of doing it. Yeah. And so it opened up communication. And I agree with you. There are different ways of of finding out what the kid learns because each kid is different Mm -hmm. and kids learn different ways and if you keep using one fundamental way of testing that education you're not going to find out what their particular learning style is as well as what they're good at yeah and to actually add to that uh today's teaching standards um are all about instead of teaching children the one way to do it is giving them a toolbox of ways to figure it out 
Um, and actually, teachers use this when they talk about their own learning is teachers learning how to be teachers mm -hmm. is you're not just learning one way to be a teacher. You're learning a bunch of different tools to fill your toolbox. And that way you can address any situation as it comes up. Yep. So teachers become really good at improvising during the situation because yep. they might have to deal with a kid who doesn't understand the way you're teaching it to the majority of the class, even though the majority mm -hmm. understands. And they're like, okay, well, how am I going to get this student to understand? Well, Here's a third option for that child be like, hey, well, if you can't do that and that doesn't help you, then let's go with situation C and this should help you. And the child's like, oh, I'm doing it differently the whole class, but I understand how to do it. And that's yep. what's important. Yeah. So and that's I feel like where the role of homework is now. Uh, it's now a tool. Yeah. And for some students, I think homework works better as as that reinforcing tool. This is part of your kind of repetitive learning repetitive behavior aspect and that's how you learn better um i can tell you that i think my daughter has benefited from not having homework because she i think learns more hands-on yeah. and experience-based and so the material that she's learned in school has been reinforced through her doing it and and part of that learning experience mm -hmm. i don't think she would be as successful with homework no especially if it's weighted if your grades weighted on homework which Elementary school, don't really have to worry about grades too much. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as you get older, it's like things become, you know, more important to do outside of school and more like do mm -hmm. more and more things outside of school. And yep. it's like, well, some kids, even up to college, are still more focused in the in the learning environment than when they go outside of the learning environment. Of course. Because focus, concentration, their discipline, there's too many other factors outside of the classroom that are now pulled into it. And honestly, not every kid learns how to study not every kid learns how to be a student outside of school as well um and you know speaking of my own frustrations before we get to like some positives is my biggest thing has been support is i usually don't have a problem with teaching children and i don't have a problem with you know having a safe and healthy classroom my usual issue is when i try to reach up and say hey there's a situation I've had to deal with. I've had many this year. Um, you know, I, I have a situation that I don't know how to deal with. How do I deal with it? And then you're relying on the people above you yes. to understand how to work that problem. And we're all human. We all make mistakes. But we do need to rely on the people above us in order to help out with that situation. And if that person doesn't know how to deal with the situation or is too afraid, nervous, whatever you know, term you want to put in there, um, that becomes a problem because then you are as a teacher don't have the power to deal with anything that takes administrative help, but then you are stuck between a rock and a hard place going, hey, I need your help, but you won't help me. I can't do this and abide by myself because I'll get fired. Like, well, so it becomes a huge issue. But then the flip side is that my most enjoyable time in school, obviously, but besides the kids, love the kids. Kids are great. Um, is the staff. And I think what I love the most is that if you can't rely on the people above you, you can rely on the people next to you. Yeah. And more often than not, you will have four to five teachers at a school who are going out of their way to come help you with the situation going, oh, yes, I've been in that situation plenty of times. And if you can't get your admin to help, well, this is how you're going to do it. And we're going to figure out how to solve it together. And honestly, 
Um, it's one of those things that you don't get as much from a parent perspective because you can't see the teachers working together, but you can see how healthy the school dynamic is and how healthy the, the teachers react to situations. And I think that's something to be praised a lot in schools is how well the teachers work together. And if you don't see them working together, that creates an unhealthy environment at a school. It's not great to keep your kids in because if they see clashing between adults, they'll learn that same behavior for themselves and socialness. Especially if you've got a strong principal who is a good leader and hands off. Yeah. It encourages more staff participation with each other and what I call um, idea sharing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I if I heard it once, I heard it a hundred times. The best ideas are stolen from other teachers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. And if you have a strong principal who sees that and and sees that that staff can work well together, or if three teachers work well together in one particular instance and four teachers work well in another instance, then the principal should be aware enough to say, oh, okay, these four can do this and these three can do that. And they don't have to mix, but you're still going to have conversations. You're still going to have staff working with each other. But that's where a school community, as you said, can either benefit the kid or not benefit the kid. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that actually has to do with uh, both of what you guys said actually has to do with my biggest frustration with education in general. And it has to do with... um, inconsistencies between not only schools but districts across the country so it it frustrates me beyond belief that we have a system in education overall within the united states where uh not every kid can be educated in the same way Mm -hmm. um you even within our even within my district my daughter's district there is schools that are neighborhood schools that have problems with attendance because all the neighborhood gets forced to go to that school. Yeah. Correct. Um, and then in order to get out of that school, you have to then enter a lottery system to get somewhere else. And instead of fixing that school or um, giving extra support to that school to then make it a better school, it just seems like they're like, the district ends up just being like, well, it's it is what it is. We're just gonna let it do its thing. It has to do with money. That's part of the issue, right? It's part of the mm-hmm. issue. Um, is that the country as a whole, we already know, doesn't put an emphasis on education and nope. would rather spend not to get on my high horse, but billions of dollars on <laughs> military budget and then give pittance and pennies yeah. to education. Yeah. And if we if the government found a way to then standardize that that income flow more towards education, we'd see a better turnaround for all students because it wouldn't be the education that's standardized. It would be the experience that's that's more yeah, standardized. because every kid learns differently, but that doesn't mean they can't have the same experience as blah, blah, blah down the road, you know? Well, or at the same time, it's like they would get the same support that all schools provide. Yeah. They would The teachers would get all support the same support that all schools provide the 
um, administration would get the same support. Mm-hmm. So then it then turns into that every school strives to be better. And it's not based off of the student population because mm-hmm. clearly that's that's the blame game that 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 these administrators or districts or politicians mm-hmm. like to play is like they're just in a bad area. It's like, but that doesn't matter if you fund that school more. The school becomes better, and then the students become better because the school's better. And that's a that's the thing with that. Um, if you're sticking with us through our critique of the education system, you can wait till the end. Maybe we'll have some positive things. We'll probably have some positive things to say at the end. But is the experience changes so drastically because you have different levels of support at all levels? Yeah. Right. So it doesn't matter if you have a good or bad teacher. All teachers can get better, and especially if they're directed by a good administrator they learn how to get better you know it's not you don't just thrust somebody into the situation and be like figure it out if they've had somebody who's been struggling you know you know i i don't know how to teach this kid it's been a problem for like six months but i keep asking my admin they never let me know and the admin doesn't know so they ask the person above them and they don't get any response um some districts are horrible at communication and that that is really evident for the way the teachers feel so disjointed when they get to school going, I feel like I'm just here by myself and nobody is around to help me. Um, And that all comes from the government here is determining what the policies are, what the curriculum is and putting together these boards, not boards of education, but boards who come together to figure out policy and not all the time. It's like the same issue with most of the government where you go, Hey, we're going to make these 12 people figure out what thousands of people should learn. Well, oh, what are their qualifications? Oh, uh, they've been in politics for 12 years. Oh, so they're not educators. No. Oh. But they'll always have like two educators on the conference. And that's actually very evidence from when we look at like at least my music curriculum is for like three years out of there, they were like, hey, try to get Common Core in your music stuff. I'm like, oh, you want me to talk about all other subjects within music? I barely have time to teach the music during my class. Yeah. And they're like, oh, but you can also try to work on the words and the math and the, the other thing. Maybe some... Uh, maybe some Throw some history in there. Yeah, maybe some foreign <laughs> language thrown in there. Yeah, they want to do all that within my 50-minute class while I'm also supposed to be teaching the music theory, which takes over 30 minutes of the class. <laughs> and then by the end of those 30 minutes, do the kids want to learn more stuff? Probably not. No. Um, you and- as a music teacher have that for... for- your 50 minutes a day. Imagine a teacher having to deal with that for six hours a day. Exactly. Well, there, while you're trying to it, teach math, you're also trying to teach five other subjects exactly. on top of math. They, they actually, I think, have changed how curriculum works they to have. actually favor the teachers in that. Yes. yes. So they they're have, not doing math every day. They're not doing English every day. They're they're separating it they by They have, days. but it's still a, as Michael said, a standard. Oh, there of course. are a certain number it's a total package, a certain number of hours they have to teach math, a certain mm-hmm. number of hours they have to teach English. It doesn't have to be every day, but it has to be a, a certain, certain number of hours. Right. Yeah. And, and and with that is it becomes a problem when you've got an administrator who's just worried about the, the, the numbers. numbers. Yes. Yeah. And going, oh, you're not teaching enough math. It's like, hey, well, can you help me with that? Like, I can't teach enough math because the kids aren't motivated. So we basically start doing math for 45 minutes and they're all like put out. Like, do you have helpful suggestion for me to, to liven this up? Uh, and then if they don't help you, it's like, okay, well, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place again. Yeah, I'm then striving to yeah. to fix metrics as opposed to fix behavior. But then if you have a principal who's like, oh, you look like you're lacking an hour of math, but 
I do like the way you're working on your English skills and your other skills. Like these are rock solid and we just need to bring math up. Here's a few resources to help educate you on how to make math more lively or help connect with your kids or just other ways to help your kids. It's like that's the support we're looking for is if it's not other teachers who are doing that, which is not the other teacher's job to help out other teachers. It's the admin's job who works above you or the person who works above that or the professional development that you do on a monthly basis. But all That's of this, what they think it is supposed to do. But a lot of times no, it's just it's very boring. It's very boring. It's and it's hasn't changed since mom stopped teaching. Well, yeah, still it, hasn't changed it, today. <laughs> it goes back to the politics. Yeah, they want. Teaching today is teaching to a test. Yes. It's not teaching to have the kids learn. It's teaching to a test, which is just very annoying. Yeah, because it's very frustrating. They try and make it quantifiable when when learning is not a quantifiable thing. Right. Yeah, because every kid learns differently. Yes. Right. But the the other issue is that that that's how they quantify it, and that's also how they determine how much money schools get. Yeah, which by, is also ridiculous. By how much how well the kids do on tests, and then the, it determines like how well you're actually teaching them. And it's like, I mean. Well, it should be the opposite, technically. Yes, it should. <laughs> the ones that aren't testing well should yeah. receive more money. <laughs> but that's that's why, like, you've got these other, um, like, European education systems where, like, oh, we well, we don't do ma- uh, homework and tests. We just, you know, teach. And it's like every system has its positives and its negatives. negatives. And I'm sure that system also has its positives and negatives that maybe without that discipline of having homework and tests is that you're losing out on something where like say you know the test this time is an interview and you're testing the child on how well did they interview or how well can they ex- you know, expound upon a subject with a, a speech or a presentation or and, express themselves or express themselves you know like through art or through music mm-hmm. or through drama and their homework there is and their test is oh well the test is you have to show off a five minutes of Shakespeare and you have to act through it it, it all determines on how you implement these things, not how you document it afterwards. It's more about the teaching aspect. And that's what frustrates with the whole government thing is like, why are you guys implementing these things when you haven't tested them yourselves? And that's always been my issue with education is, yep. is people go, oh, well, this is the right way to do it. It's like, have, have you done it? Have you have you have you been taught that way, or have you just been teaching these kids so long that you forget how how you would learn that? They changed over the course of my lifetime. They've changed reading styles. They've changed math styles. They've changed English styles. Mm-hmm. When I was a young student, the big thing was the learning the alphabet, learning phonetics, as my children got into school, it was word development and sentence developed from words. Mm-hmm. Lorelai, my granddaughter, is doing the same thing. She loves to read. You know, I would point out different things and she would describe them to me and tell me what they were. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's... Yeah, it's the comprehension aspect yes. as yeah. opposed to... And that's what's different. It's instead yeah. of memorizing the things... Yeah. It's, it's comprehending those yeah. things. And that's how assessing is done today is it's more about how the student comprehends the subject than just having memorized. Like uh, we had a teacher this year who was all about learn those math tables, learn oh, the multiplication well, yeah. table. And it was like, okay, that's important. But if important. the kid doesn't understand what they're doing and just has it memorized, then they won't succeed later in math. 
because they're going to memorize, True. you know, seven times seven or eight times nine. And if they don't know, like, eight times nine, if they don't know the nines trick and they just know that eight times nine is a thing, that's a problem. So the one thing I wanted to cover before we uh, finish up here is we were actually planning on having this conversation with our uh, mom before she left for her trip. Didn't end up happening. And now a month later, we're having this. But it actually still has kind of a current tie and what's going on with the government and uh, specifically associated with what is going on in in the Supreme Court this past week. I mean... The multiple things that are happening yeah. in the Supreme, Supreme Court, Court, but we're going to target one, one of those things. Uh, one this episode. <laughs> and one next episode, um, hopefully. But I, the court case that was just finalized recently was a court case called uh, Kennedy versus Bremerton, um, which virtually reverted a 1962 ruling of the, ni- of, uh, the Supreme Court that made it um, not okay to have prayer sessions in public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, Kennedy versus Bremerton was a case where a football coach um, liked to have prayer sessions on the 50-yard line for his football team mm-hmm. and also wanted to lead guided prayers and was fired for that. Um, the Supreme Court ruled in his favor saying that it was unconstitutional um, and part of his First Amendment rights to do that, and so therefore they should not have fired him which then has now opened it up to having a uh, prayer back in schools again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, a already divisive and controversial topic. Yes. And so obviously that, that kind of le- lends itself to the educational element as you've, as you've been listening already, there's enough complications already in education um, with politics and a bunch of other stuff and the lack of support and just the, overall complication of having to teach students in the first place i mean last topic we talked about the don't say gay bill in florida yeah and how that was handled as well so i mean like there's so many different complications that involved in the education system beyond and and now we've just added another one yeah beyond just teaching Yeah, yeah there's a whole political atmosphere that goes along with it um and that's the thing is like at least with that you know, it all depends on what your definition of separation in church and state is. My first two years in teaching, I had a, um, bi- uh, what was it? Uh, Good News. It's called Good News Club, which okay. was just a Bible study group for kids like from like second to fifth grade. Okay. And, you know, I didn't ever have a problem with that because they were very nice people, but I did have a problem with the way kids spoke after that. Um, well, was, and I'm assuming it was a club, so it was optional. Yes. Okay. Yeah, 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 definitely. It was just the way the kids were like, um, it was just the basic thinking of going, hey, no matter what you do, as long as you atone for it, then you're good. And the kids would then be like talking about that during school, which would, I mean, like that's a, I don't remember. Is that a Christian or Catholic thing? Atoning for things and confessing? They're right. both. I it's think the that's same. Catholic. Oh, yeah. it's okay. both. Yeah. So like kids would like be talking about that at school and be like, there would be a lot of Bibles talk during school with kids who'd be attending that club. And I would keep finding their stuff all around. And it would be a little bit more in the concerning thing to be teaching children and going like, hey, as long as you live a good life, you'll go to heaven, which is where you should go. And if you don't, you're going to go to hell and you're going to live there. I'm like, mm. is this what we should be teaching kids? They can handle that when they're in middle school or high school. In elementary school, I don't think they should be worried about their immortal soul. But... um. And this is like the same thing is like 
even with that, that's a club. Kids can join it if they want to. Yeah, so if optional. they already have like a very reverent uh, family, then they go, you know, have reverence at school. But the issue with this is like, what if there's a kid in the football team who doesn't? And play? that's that's exactly the biggest problem that I have with it is at any level of school, um, how is a kid supposed to dictate what's optional and what's not? Yeah. If, if the teacher is leading that discussion or that prayer or things like that, um, if you don't feel comfortable with that, you're talking about not only peer pressure, but then are you going to get a bad grade? Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically because we're talking about the football, are you going to get a starting position versus not a starting position? Are you because you're not praying by the rest of the team? Exactly. So you you add all of these social dynamics because you reintroduce this mm-hmm. in a already tense situation, yeah. and it to me it's very polarizing to put something back into school that. In my opinion, obviously, when you make it a requirement, seventy years exactly. It's been out since nineteen sixty-two, when clearly, um, you're talking about four generations later. Yeah, well, and that, but that's the thing about it is that school is supposed to be a healthy and safe place to learn. It is whether you can determine that as a negative word, like going, "Oh, don't be a snowflake about it," or you want to be like a person who's like, "Oh, that's so politically correct of you." It's like, yes, but school is supposed to be that place. Where you feel okay to be yourself. You shouldn't feel peer pressured to do True. something that you're not comfortable with. That's right. And that's and the, the school should should support you in that. Yeah, they exactly. always should be supporting you with that. You should be able to be free and open to be yourself no matter yeah. who that is. And and that's the thing for me is if the child is religious, they have the right to practice that themselves. Yes. But to then impose that on other children is the problem. Yeah. I mean, if the coach was like, um, hey, we're going to before practice starts, we're going to have 15 minutes where anybody who wants to pray can come with me and I'm going to go pray on the on the whatever yard line. But that means you show up to practice early before time starts, before we're actually on practice time. And we go do that as an aside outside of our normally scheduled school time. Well, because and, praying on school campus is not something that should be disallowed. And, Maybe a kid does that before a test. Okay, that's fine. As long as, and that that's this is part of the, the First Amendment aspect, is if we have freedom of religion, he can't then say only Christians can pray, or we're going to pray in the Christian way. Yeah, exactly. Because that's not then freedom of religion. You're saying, I, I'm praying this way, and you have to pray this way too. Well, exactly. I mean, if we, you know, it's uh, the, no matter what your God is, it's like, whatever you're praying to exactly it doesn't matter what you're praying to as long as we're you know it's a time to pray together and then feel reverent as a continuation of that if you have a freedom of religion you also have a freedom from religion so those that don't want to pray shouldn't have to pray yeah and you know joking jokingly i would say oh it's only good 10 years until we teach creationism back in schools again um but you know like it's one of those things where i'm like it's exactly the opposite of when people go, oh, well, if you allow blank blank to, you know, get together, well, then you they're going to start marrying their cows. It's like, it's the same thing with this. Is like, you can do it the opposite way. Well, if you start allowing prayer to be regulated in school, like there's rules about it, then what's to stop a church being built on school campus? What's to stop, you know, a temple being built on church campus? And then having time where all the kids must pray before lunch. It's like... That's churchception, by the way. That a is temple ch- built built on a church campus, exactly. built on a school campus. Exactly, that's crazy. But then there's private schools where the churches are built because it's okay. It's oh, a well, private yeah. school. It doesn't it's matter. It's a private school. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter. 
And, uh, and those are also usually run by a diocese, which is then but, religiously affiliated anyway. But that's yes. okay because that that's still the the government goes, oh, you can't have church schools. It's like no, you can't. It's freedom <laughs> of it's the First Amendment right to be like, hey, I've adopted a private business to teach kids. If you want to send your kid here, so you have a combination of religion and education, perfect. And Look that's that. that's where this quote of separation of church and state comes from. It's if it's a public school, that means it's state. That's government run. Mm-hmm. That's why there's a separation. If if the church wants to run a school, it's not going to be run by the government. It's going to be run by whatever is funding it. Yeah. And I would love to hear everybody out there, you know, your conversation piece on this. If you got anything that you would like to say, because this is a very interesting topic, especially in a month of uh, court cases that it feel like we're rewinding ourselves 50 years oh we definitely are and and throwing away all the progression that we've had that the rest of the world's looking at us going oh i thought you had that back when your previous president okay now you're doing it again what's going on it's because we have the previous president's supreme court still in you know power so you know this is a very divisive topic and a very controversial area of topic in education itself and is one that needs to be thoroughly discussed. Maybe maybe it did need to be rejected to be changed and then be reinstated to something else. Because sometimes in law, you need to pull a law apart and then re-put it together in a different way. And maybe that that's what needs to happen. I, Full revoke? No. It should never have been fully reduced or gotten rid of. But, you know, changing I, things and evolving and changing is what's important. Maybe now we will see a number of court cases that come up where kids are now would be forced to pray in a public school element, and then that would then almost countermand this and or form it in a different direction. Exactly. The fact that this one court case basically overturned something that was done in 1962 shows how fragile it was. Yeah. And so we need more to mm-hmm. then push this in a more molded direction. So, well. Um, Any last positives we would like to lay down before we finish out? Yes. Education is, especially here in the United States, is a right that kids should have. They need to be able to have the freedom to go to a place where they can learn as opposed to being stuck at home and not being able to add you know write their own name have a good conversation with other people and the education system that we have is 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 allowed that and it's it's free you know we live in a in a free country where people have the right to an education and each state in requires kids at least till the 18 to have that education mm-hmm. And America is one of those places where we can do that and feel at least competent that the kids are getting an education where they can lead into good adults and and things like that. So, yes, education has positive, but it also has negatives. And I think our education system, at least for everybody, is a wonderful system. But it it has its good sides and it has its mm-hmm. bad sides. 
And For sure. And just like a good blade, it is being refined all the time. All the time. Um, if you would like, please share us, review us, and subscribe to our podcast. Follow. Uh, go follow our TikTok. We are on all podcast platforms. So you should just be able to search it under generally casual. Maybe you don't like listening on it and on Anchor anymore. You want to go to Apple Podcasts. Yeah, we are follow everywhere. us on Apple Podcasts. Yes, please. Um, and anytime you review or subscribe to us, it does help our channel get uh, spread through the algorithm and get our name further out there. Because it's a little hard for us to see how well we're doing unless we hear from you. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're growing and we're going to continue to grow and hopefully you all grow with us. Yeah. If you have any topics you would like to pitch our way, go ahead and submit them. Otherwise, we're going to be talking about some more controversial stuff next episode, hopefully with our special guests, Kirsten and Megan. Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll, yeah. we'll tell you if that doesn't happen. But thank you as always and have yourself a fantastic day. Bye-bye. Bye.